Our Old Testament scripture reading is from Psalm 61, found on page 526 in your Bibles. Hear my cry, O Lord, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you are my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me abide in your tent forever. Find refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So I will always sing praises to your name as I pay my vows day after day. This is the word of the Lord. Please turn in your pew Bible to page 242 in the New Testament to the letter of 2 John. It's very short. It's a page, less than a page. You'll miss it if you aren't looking carefully. Uh, Here... This week and next week, we're going to spend time going through 2nd and 3rd John for a couple of reasons. Um, One is that uh, I was thinking these next just two weeks, what could I talk about that that works together and that would benefit the church body? And also, um, what was something that I've never taught on before? And I looked and I was looking through the the, um, table of contents in the Bible thinking, what would be good? You know, what would, be, what would be fun? What would be encouraging to the church body? And, and, and I thought of these letters because I've always liked them for personal devotion and reading, but I've never, I've never taught on them. And I confess that it's also because there's a tool on the website, if you've ever looked at the sermons, where you can look at all the different scriptures. You can search for a sermon by scripture. And if you go, there's all these books of the Bible that we don't have any sermons yet for online. And so I confess part of it was that I want to get one for each, you know, we want to have one for each book of the Bible as well. But I hope that this week and next week you're able to learn something about these small books. I don't know if you've ever spent time with them, but here we have a small epistle, very short, written by a disciple of Jesus, the Apostle John. Um, And, you know, I don't know, like I said, how many of you are familiar with the, the ministry of John and what he did in the New Testament era, but these were probably written, he did in Ephesus or nearby, he worked in modern day Turkey with all of these different churches. You may be familiar with chapters 2 and 3 in Revelation where Jesus gives John a message for the churches that he works with. These seven churches, it's Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatria, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. And and so John is actively involved in ministry in this part of the world. And and we have these couple of letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And 2nd and 3rd John, as I said, are very short. But I don't think they're to be overlooked. So please read along with me this morning the gospel, or the, excuse me, the epistle of 2nd John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. 
I was overjoyed to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we have been commanded by the Father. But now, dear lady, I ask you, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning. Let us love one another. And this is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard it from the beginning. You must walk in it. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Be on your guard so that you do not lose what we have worked for, but may receive a full reward. Everyone who does not abide in the teachings of Christ, but goes beyond it, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Do not receive into the house or welcome anyone who comes to you and does not bring this teaching. For to welcome it is to participate in the evil deeds of such a person. And although I have much to write you, I would, not, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you their greetings. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this text, we have a very simple letter. We have a very simple letter from a teacher writing to this church. And John addresses his letter to the elect lady, which we see is not a person, but is the body of Christ, is the body of believers present there. It's a way of just simply addressing it. And he, and he says that he loves this church and that he's writing to this church. And he also refers to himself as the elder. He says, the elder greets you, the elect lady, the church body. And we don't know why John doesn't use his exact name. Maybe it's because he was just really old. <laughs> Maybe it was because he was afraid of persecution. You know, church tradition tells us that the Apostle John was the only one of the original disciples who died a long, or lived a long life and died a natural death. The other ten, of course, excluding Judas, all church tradition tells us were martyred and killed for their faith. That John lived a long life and that these were written towards the end of his life. We don't know exactly why he refers to himself. Maybe he was just seen as a great elder and leader in the first century church by this time and revered. And so he referred to himself as the elder. But John, either way, would be a good person to listen to. And so he writes this letter. And in verse 2 he says, And this truth, the truth of Christ, will be with us forever. That this truth is this thing that binds us and, 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 and brings us together. And he uses a word that he used in his gospel that is essential to understanding this truth of Christ. It's that word, abide. Many of us will recognize where this comes from. In John chapter 15, he writes the teachings of Jesus that we must abide in Christ. As the vine with the branches. And so here, John is reflecting on a very, very important teaching of Jesus. That we must abide with Jesus and His truth and His teaching. As it talks about also in, in, in 1 John. He says in 1 John, the, the epistle right before this, chapter 2 and verse 24. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, if it's in you, if it's through you, if it's all part of you then you will also abide in the Son and the Father. This idea of abiding is not 
part-time. It's a very important thing to understand. The, the analogy Jesus gives is of the vine and of the branches of the vineyard. And if anyone has ever seen a vineyard, which many of us have, you know that there is the main stock, there is the branch that comes up out of the ground, and all the other vines that bear fruit grow out along the wires and, and the trusses. And if you were to cut one of those vines, how long would it survive? A day? Maybe two? Even with fresh cut flowers, we put them in water so that they would survive, but without the plant, without the stalk, without the branch, how long do those flowers last? A week? Two weeks? See, this agricultural argument is perfect for what he's trying to say to the church. He's saying to the church, you must abide in the truth of Jesus Christ. You must not go to it when it's convenient. You must not go to church just once a week when it's convenient or when, when things are going well, you read scripture and get a little nourishment. It must be every day and you must be connected. To the church in the first century, John is saying this primary message to understand the truth of Jesus Christ is to abide in him because he will be with us forever. He will always be there. As he said in Matthew chapter 28, that he will always, always be with us. He is there always. And if we do this, John says, if we abide with Christ and in the teachings of Christ, in verse 3 he says what we will have. What does this abiding, what does this trust, what does this truth of Christ give us? Grace, mercy, and peace. Three things I think that we all desire. In truth and love in Jesus Christ, we find grace and mercy and peace. We find peace for our everyday lives. We find grace and mercy to give to others that we receive from God. It's a great promise. And I read a passage like this and sometimes I wonder, why is this so hard for the world to understand? Whether it be through, through money, through like the things I was talking about in the children's sermon. We look everywhere for what's most important, don't we? We put our hope and our trust in, in, in jobs and in, in skills and in abilities and in desires when all along Jesus says, it's only in me. And we look for peace anywhere. We look for peace everywhere. And Jesus says, no, it's through abiding in me. And this is the teaching John is giving the church. And he says in verse 4 that when he sees the church doing this, he's rejoicing. That it brings him great joy. That he sees this, the children in the church, he sees this with the believers and it brings him great joy. It brings joy to see and to know people who are finding these truths in Christ. You know, it's amazing when you talk about this word truth. I don't know how many of you have heard of this term or how many of you read sort of philosophy or social science, but one of the things they talk about now is that we're living in what's called a post-truth era. Where, where, you know, absolute truth really isn't that important. It's really about knowing what you believe and why you believe. And so you can believe something and that person can believe something different and that's your truth and that's their truth. Look it up sometime. Just Google the words post-truth. As a Christian, you read it and you just think, is this really what people believe? I mean, does this really make sense, this subjective moral reality? No, it makes no sense to me as a Christian. 
Because what John is saying here, in the first four verses, he mentions the word truth five times. And in the first four verses, the truth he is talking about is the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins. And that this truth, this truth of Jesus Christ is the very thing that binds us all together as the church. How do we live it? He says in verse 5, let us remember then. This is nothing new. But I remind you because it's so important to love one another. We know this is the goal but we struggle at times. And let me be clear, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but this is, the, this is the agape love, right? This is the big one in Greek. This is the love he's talking about here. It's not the brotherly love. It's not the, the man and wife love. It is, it is the love that God has for us, the unconditional, the unending, perfect love. You know, Hebrew has a ton of words for love and little differences in their words, and Greek has a couple, but we have only one in English. And so it's helpful for us to remind ourselves that when it says agape in the New Testament, it's not talking about, I love tacos. Okay, because I do, I love tacos, and I, I long for the day when I get to go back to California and have a real taco. But the love I have for tacos is not the same as the love God has for us. And in Greek, the word John uses is agape, perfect, unending love. Because to carry out the analogy, I've had tacos in Switzerland, and I do not love the tacos in Switzerland. It is a conditional love. But the love God has for us is what? It is unconditional. And so when John says this as the church, what we must do is love each other. The way God loves us. Loving others as God sees them. That when you see a person, you do not take advantage of them. You do not seek to gain from them because that person is a daughter or a son of the king. And what would happen? What would you deserve if you took advantage of the daughter or the son of the king? In our relationship with, with God, there is no contingencies or terms of relationship. And this is the love we should have with others. You know, I once heard a, a great sermon series on marriage, and one of the things the pastor said was, imagine going to, imagine going to a wedding, and the vows come up, right? And, and imagine, you know, it's this beautiful ceremony, and people are crying as the bride comes down the aisle, and it's this wonderful celebration, and then the man and the woman give their vows. And then... And then, I, I will love you, I promise to love you in sickness and in health. And then the man chimes in and says, well, hold on a second, I need to, I, I will love you in sickness. I'll love you in health, but I'll love you in sickness only until it, your, your hospital bills get so big. And then I'm not really sure. And she says, okay, that's fair. That's fair, okay, so we'll add that in. And then they add it in. And then he goes back and says, and I will love you for better or for rich or for poor. And then the, the, the soon-to-be wife says, well, hold on a second. I have a minimum salary requirement for you as my husband. So let's add that in. Let's, let's go ahead and add those contingencies in. And at first it would be funny. And at first you'd sort of get, but then you'd think, I'm leaving. These people have no chance. This is not a love that will last. This is not a love that matters. This is a love that is contingent upon what the other person will get. 
The love John talks about here is not contractual. And when I think about this, this is what's so amazing about these letters of John, even though they're small and even though they're short, is that John knew what he was talking about. I don't know how often you've thought about this. John was a friend of Jesus. John walked around with Jesus. John saw the look in Jesus' eyes when he healed the blind man. John saw Jesus' response with the adulterous woman when they brought her out to be stoned. John saw Jesus after the transfiguration when he was glowing from the presence of God. See, this idea of love to John was not just conceptual. He knew it and he saw it. And so John says to the church, let me tell you what's most important. Is that you love one another this way. And in verse 5 he says, it's nothing new but it is essential. It is the command you've heard from the beginning and you should not leave it. And he says, he goes on in verse 6 to say it's very simple. The way that you love and the way that you live like Jesus is to do what he says. To follow and to have obedience to his commands. And yet we as Christians constantly decide that we know our own way to go. It's a, such a simple premise. Jesus says this is, this is how you ought to live and this is the most fulfilling way to live and that my yoke is easy and my burden is light and if you live this way you will have a light yoke and yet we decide to go and find grace, peace, and mercy on our own. We do things our way first and then when we fail we go to God's way. We have such an obsession with control. I mean all of humanity really has kind of an obsession with control. And this is why I think that John used that word abide. And this is why the idea of abiding in Christ is so essential. Because we must rely fully on Christ each day to be obedient. See, this is what's so great about Jesus. is Not only did he give us a way to live, but then he says, I will empower you to live that way. He does all the heavy lifting. And too many people see this as a burden. How do I live like Jesus? How can I obey Jesus? It's too hard. It's too much work. But it's not. Jesus gave us the very ability to do this. And people see it as a burden when in reality Jesus is saying, no, this is how you release the burden. That we are to love the people of this world the way Christ loved them. Not just those similar to us, not just those in our little circles, but everybody. The first Bible verse most of us ever memorized in whatever language we grew up in was John 3.16. For God so loved the world. So what John is saying is that we should desire nothing but what Christ taught. And that the message of Christ, the truth of Christ, is in obedience to Him in loving this world. But that's not all he writes in this letter. He goes on to give us one more detail that's very important on how to love and, and how to draw this line. He says in verse 7 that some people might teach otherwise. Some people might go beyond the teachings of Jesus Christ. Some people might even say that Jesus wasn't really a man, that He was just a spirit. Now, Without going into the theology behind what, exactly what this is talking about, this is the beginning of a teaching called Gnosticism, which many of us have heard of. 
that Jesus Christ was only a spirit and that he didn't actually resurrect, that it was his spirit was resurrected and that and the whole time that he wasn't actually a man, etc., etc. We don't have time to go into all of that entails, but let me just say this. Christ was fully man and fully God, and if Christ was only spirit, then his sacrifice was not physical, and thus it limits the atonement we have in the cross because Christ has promised us that our body and our spirit will be raised the same as his. And we must understand that. And he says in verse 8, so then keep watch for people who teach anything other than what Christ taught, anything more than what Christ taught. And there it is again in verse 9, to abide, that if we do not abide in Christ, that we do not understand him. And all the grace and mercy and peace this world and that we long for is found in the abiding in Christ and his teachings. And it's simple. Don't go beyond Christ. Don't go more than what he taught. And let me again mention this, and I know I've said it before in here, but this does not mean that we only teach the Gospels. And this does not mean that we throw out the Old Testament as some might have argued from passages like this. Let us remember the teachings of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, for I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Some might try to argue the opposite, but the truth is, is that through the Old Testament and through studying all of Scripture, the teachings of Jesus come alive all the more. And the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we love one another is illuminated even more through the Old Testament. And so he says in verse 10 and 11, hey church, don't let them bring this teaching against Christ's love. Don't let anyone bring this teaching against Christ's love. In fact, if you allow someone to teach and you bring someone in who teaches against this truth, you're participating in this evil. And I want to make a distinction here because at first reading, it sort of seems almost like John is saying, hey, don't associate with people who teach different things. At first reading, if you just read it once and you think, oh, wow, so we're not supposed to have anyone in church who's different than us. Because that's kind of what it seems like. Let me expand this idea. Does this mean not to invite people to church? Does this mean not to have conversations with people who are different than us? How does this work? Well, as many of us know, I don't believe that's what he's saying. You know, when we look at this, there were these traveling, we'll talk about this more next week, Third John, because he expands on it more in Third John. But there were these traveling teachers who were going around, and they, were, they would come into a town, and they would come into a place, and they would say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a teacher of Jesus Christ, and they would welcome him in, and they'd give this guest preacher the pulpit to bring some new teaching from Paul, or from John, or from Barnabas, or one of these other leaders, or Peter, and they would bring these teachings and they would bring these letters and they would sort of talk about these things. But it seems that as we look to how we interpret it now, what it's talking about is not, not, excuse me, is not saying no to people who are different than us. What it's talking about is those who are in leadership and those who are called to teach and those who are called to lead. You know, his primary focus is on proclaiming the love of Jesus. And I believe John is saying, hey, don't give people a platform within your church to teach anything else. You know, if you look at the example of Jesus, what did Jesus do to those he opposed? He talked with them. He'd ask them questions. He'd have dialogue with them. But we have no examples of Jesus bringing in false teachers to teach the disciples, do we? And so what John is saying is, hey, 
If a person enters these doors demanding to teach and demanding to teach anything other than what Christ has said, we should not allow them to. But if a person comes in humility to learn from Christ, who comes from a different faith, who may have a different background, who is earnestly desiring this truth that binds us, we should welcome them. Just as Christ welcomed sinners, which is also how you and I started here, and how we still are here, needing Jesus. If you look at the psalm reading from today, in verse 1, the psalmist calls out to God, Why? Verse 4, that we would abide with God, that we would dwell in the shelter of His wings. This is nothing new. This idea of loving and caring for each other is nothing new. In fact, it's an ancient teaching that we should abide with God. Christ just gives us a more personal avenue to do so. And it's through this way of living and it's through this way of life that we find grace, peace, and mercy. That we find love and complete joy that we're looking for. Because if you look at the order of how he organizes this little letter, he basically says, hey, we love everyone in the truth of Jesus. And and, and we are going to share and we are going to preach and we are going to keep loving everyone. But beware those that don't do that. And the order is really important because he doesn't say beware those who are different than you first before love, does he? He says love, 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 and just just in case, beware. And even if someone opposes Christ, we are still to love them. We just shouldn't give them the pulpit. We just shouldn't let them teach young people. You know, in Acts 20, Paul warns about this when he leaves Ephesus. He says, hey, just just a heads up. I'm going to warn you, there's going to be some people who come and they're going to look like sheep, but they're actually wolves here to separate you. Jesus even said this when he sends out the disciples in Matthew 10. He said, hey, I'm going to send you out, but some people aren't going to listen to you. So shake the dust off your feet and move on. We're called to love people with the truth. Allow Christ to pursue them and convict them. Your job is not to tell people they're wrong. Your job is to love people. Your job is not to solve all the evil of this world. Your job is to love this world. Christ will pursue this world. Christ will convict this world. You know, my first mentor always said this, and I love it, because it's just such a perfect line. Either you bow before Christ voluntarily, or he will make you bow before him later. You might want to choose the first. Don't worry about making people bow to Christ. Christ will take care of that. God will handle his business when the time comes. Our job, according to the Apostle John, is to love one another in the truth of Christ. And this example is clearly seen in the words of Jesus on the cross, the first martyr Stephen. As they both died, they cried out for God to forgive those who were oppressing them. Brothers and sisters, let us walk humbly in the ways of Christ. Let us love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us. Let us lay our very lives down for those who would oppose us. For this is the way of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Please pray with me.